This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as is customary, the Church considers apocalyptic scriptures as it comes to the end of a liturgical year. End of the year, end of the world. That's the way it tends to work. As I mentioned before, though, end of the world is not the primary meaning of apocalypse. Rather, the word, rendered from the Greek apocalypsis, means unveiling, taking away the veil. That's why apocalypsis is rendered as revelatio in Latin, revelation, taking the vellum, taking the veil away. Therefore, in apocalyptic literature, something of great significance is revealed to us, is disclosed to us. That's what it means primarily. What's revealed in our gospel? A section of the so-called little apocalypse in Luke is the full significance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what's unveiled. The resurrection involves a triple shaking of things. You know, it's impossible to overstate the importance of the resurrection for the first Christians. It was everything. It was the world-changing event. It was God's definitive intervention into human affairs. And listen now, it shook and rearranged everything they knew about religion, about politics, and about nature itself. There's the triple shaking. Religion, politics, nature itself are all recontextualized, rethought, reconsidered in light of the resurrection. Look first at religion. In our reading for today, the gospel for today, the disciples, like good tourists from the back country, are gazing up at the Jerusalem temple in all of its splendor. Its facade gilded with costly stones and votive offerings. It was, without a doubt, the most splendid thing that any of them had ever seen. In fact, the Jerusalem temple was known as one of the real wonders of the ancient world. So for these backcountry fishermen from Galilee, this was clearly the most impressive thing they'd ever seen. It was also the very center of their religious life and consciousness. It was the most sacred place on earth. And therefore, we can fully understand how they stood there, you know, in awe of this great place. But Jesus immediately 
even brutally relativizes all of it. Listen, all that you see here, the days will come when there will not be a stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. Put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. Think of yourself maybe staring up at one of the great, beautiful spots in the, in the Western world. And then someone casually saying to you, you know, the whole thing will be thrown down. And indeed, in the Gospel of John, Jesus declares himself the agent of this destruction. Listen, I will tear down this temple and in three days rebuild it. This was a frontal assault on the entire Jewish religious establishment. But what in the world could this mean? How this must have just flummoxed the disciples as they stood there. Well, after his resurrection from the dead, they would know. What? That Jesus' own risen body is now the true temple. Is now the place of right worship. The mystical body of Jesus, the church, is now the point of reconciliation between divinity and humanity. And that means that even the most sacred customs and institutions of Judaism would be relativized in light of the resurrection. This, by the way, is precisely how to understand much of St. Paul who, when he was Rabbi Shaul studying in Jerusalem, knew and reverenced all of these traditions. He was passionate, he said, for the traditions of his fathers. But Paul knew, once he had seen the risen Christ, that something had been unveiled, something had been revealed to him, namely that now Christ, risen from the dead, is the new and true temple. And therefore, it was a shaking of the religious establishment. Now, the second great shaking that occurred with the resurrection was in regard to the political order. For many people, especially today, politics is of ultimate concern. The play of power between rival political factions rising and falling of key political figures, wars and rumors of war. All of it is central to their consciousness. All of it is of central importance. Think of the number of people who watch the news programs now. This round-the-clock, 24-hour, seven-days-a-week coverage. What's being talked about, but all of this political business. Who's up, who's down, who just won an election, who's been ousted by a coup, which power blocks are forming, what wars are on the horizon. Think of the preoccupation with the Middle East. I mean, my entire life, we've been plotting and wondering and worrying and, and looking at that situation. From the time I was a kid, when the, the Soviet Union, you know, was the great uh, enemy, now it's shifted around maybe to radical Islam. But my point is, an obsession with politics the great powers of the world, that's always been in the forefront of the minds of many people. 
Well, in Jesus' time, the lordship of Caesar would have been absolute. Roman power. And how Roman power related, let's say, to the, the Jewish political establishment, to other nations and peoples, that would have been on the mind supremely. Paul, who had seen the risen Jesus, said over and over again, Jesus curios. Jesus is the Lord. Listen now. Thereby radically relativizing the authority and centrality of Roman power. Does this mean that Jesus is a Jewish revolutionary hero? Hardly. He's not advocating a realignment of political forces, nor the embrace of Jewish zealotry. He is saying that political wars and struggles are not of primary importance. The rising and falling of empires, who's up and down, who's in power, who's out of power. The ground under all of that has shifted and been shaken by the power of the resurrection. That's been unveiled. A final shaking has to do with nature itself. One of the chief marks of all apocalyptic literature is a stress on natural calamities. Earthquakes, famines, plagues, even the stars falling from the sky. But one of the great intellectual options in the ancient world was to embrace a kind of philosophical naturalism according to which nature and the necessities inherent in it are taken to be ontologically basic. I know that's kind of maybe an overly fancy way of saying that nature and its, and its um, rhythms and necessities are absolute. Many of the key philosophical players in ancient Greece and Rome didn't really have much time for the gods, for traditional Roman religion, Greek religion nor for the machinations and maneuverings of politicians. But they took earth, sky, sea, rain, the movements of the planets, etc., to be fundamental, unchanging, godlike. Read the ancient philosophers. Not across the board. I mean, some certainly took the gods seriously and all that, but some of them opted for this almost idolatry of nature. What's absolute, necessary, are the great rhythms of nature. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead blew that neat vision apart. A naturalist would say, of course, that living things endure for a short time, and then they pass away, returning to the earth from which they came. Death, if anything, in nature is certain, absolute, and irreversible. That's it. But the rising of Jesus from the dead, and I mean his real return from death, not a, a myth or a vague symbol, turned all of this upside down and shook it apart. Now the final point of reference is not earth, 
sky and sea, but rather Jesus risen from the dead. Don't put your final trust, if I could sum this up, in conventional religion, in politics, or in nature. Something new has been unveiled, apocalypsis. So, what do we do? Look at our second reading just very briefly. Watch how wonderfully Paul brings all of this down to earth. He tells the Thessalonians, it's one of the first communities to whom this world-shattering message was delivered, that they should work quietly and stop minding other people's business. I love how down-to-earth that is. They should let go of any excessive preoccupation with politics, conventional religion, or nature, and do what the risen Lord asked them to do for the good of the church. You know, it's still pretty good advice for all the followers of Jesus today. We to whom these same great truths have been unveiled. Don't take anything that people usually take seriously as absolute as ultimate. Take Jesus risen from the dead as ultimate. And then quietly get to work as a diligent member of his mystical body. Friends, those are the great truths unveiled for us today in this extraordinary gospel. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.